We will start in the 53rd verse, and we will go to chapter 12, verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. As he went from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him and something they might say. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the private room shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after have nothing to do more that they can do to you. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why then, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge you before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself, or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word is always encouraging, always enlightening, always challenging, always comforting, always prodding, (coughs) always looking in as the mirror reflects our image, our spiritual image, the perfect law of God, the teachings of Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that your son's teachings become illuminated to us today. That for the first time, possibly for many of us, by faith, we can comprehend the magnitude of salvation. And what you've called us to, Father God. To really understand that the body is more than clothes and the stomach is more than food. We're called to a higher purpose, Father God. Let us know it. Let us see it. Let us taste the sweetness of redemption song, Father God. Breathe upon this text, we ask God, in Christ's precious name. Amen. Fearless confession or bold witness, either or, is the title of today's message. And uh, we've been speaking about, we started two weeks ago, about evangelism, about sharing our faith. Uh, It's our duty, it's our job to share our faith, to tell people whether technically, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, to sit there and explain to people the plan of salvation and, and the, the misery human beings are in. They're in the world without God. There's plenty of religion. Understand that. But there's not a personal relationship with God, only through Christ. 
and to share this, or we can have a simple testimony of once I was blind and now I see. Let me, let me tell you how my life used to be before I came to Christ and, and what happened when I started listening to the Word of God and, and praying and trusting in Jesus. My life changed upside down. I used to be this and now I'm this. And it can be either or or a combination of both, but sharing our faith is something that God calls us to. It's not uh, should I or shouldn't I. It's really something God generally encourages us to. And I want to make this plain early in the sermon. If we don't, it's not sin. We're not in sin. We're not, we're not failing God. We're not failing God. We might be failing our fellow human beings. God's got it all under control. God encourages us. And this text is going to reveal a lot to us today about dealing with the fear we have against mankind. That's what we're talking about today. That's what the text is addressing. The text is addressing fear. Five times it's mentioned in three verses. That is the central message that Jesus is dealing with. It's the fear his disciples were going to face. It's the fear that we all face throughout our Christian life about sharing the faith. And to continue to share the faith, even under great persecution and great un- unbelief, to continue to share the testimony of Jesus Christ until we really go home. We don't outgrow witnessing. We don't outgrow the testimony of God in our life. We, we never outgrow it. We can be 40, 50, 60 years into this and, and tell somebody uh, the minute details of what happened the day we got saved. Or that season in our life and we can tell them how... Uh, methodical God was in our heart when he liberated us from religion and religion uh, liberated us from sin and so on and so forth. And I never get tired of hearing people talk about that testimony. And some people can share it as though it was yesterday, though it was many, many, many decades. It's marvelous. And we're called to do that. Uh, most unfortunately at times, we can be slow, unfortunately, to share Christ. And we even find ourselves rarely sharing him at all anymore. You know, we can find ourselves being a lack of zeal to share, share our faith in Christ. God expects it in our life, but he encourages it. He doesn't tell, the, the word doesn't encourage us to go witness, but he's not there along for the ride. And let me explain something as we get into the text. We're going to find out why we can sometimes miss our witnessing because we're just not trusting in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's something that's very real and we have to keep a good look at. My aim in this series of sermons on sharing Christ is to overcome some of the difficulties we might experience. A couple of weeks ago we spoke about the seed that grew, yet the farmer knew not know how. He did not know how the gospel message, though he sowed the seed, how it really worked. And that's important for all of us to understand. We're called to be as good of a sower as the word as we can. Harvesting is easy. God doesn't call us just to go out and harvest. He goes, sow and wait. Sow and pray. Sow and watch. Because the difficult part of salvation all belongs to God. That the only thing I'm really required of is to tell somebody about Jesus Christ in any way I can. Whether I, once I was blind, now I see. Or give them a, a real technical, theological understanding of the miserable world we live in. And speak about Satan and Adam and Eve. And we can go as far as we want. It's okay. But the power to germinate is in the message itself. That was two weeks ago. It is self-generating in nature. It's already built into the message. 
The message saves. How? I do not know how. Only God can change the human heart. Only the Holy Spirit can convict a person that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. We could never do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. When we find out that it's really all God and all I can do is call to happily, and we can so happily. We don't have to be like the, the Old Testament prophet, you know? You're all going to hell and, you know, doom and gloom and everything else. We can simply just put our arms around people in a loving way and just say, let me just share how much Jesus loves you and what he's done for you. And then that seed alone has the power to germinate to salvation. Tonight I want to address a common reality in a Christian's life, and it's in the text I just spoke about, and that's the fear of man. What really keeps us from talking about Christ? There's only one true answer that I can really come up with. Fear of what people might say, of opinions and threats, or persecutions, what people might think of me, what people really might think of me in the long run if I start to share my faith. You know, I'm living amongst them now for many years, and you know, why all of a sudden I start becoming a religious fanatic? Or you know, what? And we go through this sort of deliberating in our mind, and and what happens? We become really powerless. And the years go on, and we don't speak about the Lord. And at one time we were zealous, we didn't care about it. But over a prolonged period of time, the, the fear of man can naturally take over to the point that we really don't share it. And that's what this text is addressing. Lovingly and kindly, Christ addresses this. And I, I really want not to miss that. In time, the power to witness can be silent, come to a silent hush because of prolonged periods of re- being rejected or being spoken about or losing our reputation or uh, the high opinion we might have of ourselves. Years can really go on without sharing the faith to the point we, that we really don't think it matters. That is a dangerous place for a church or a Christian to be, to really think that it really doesn't matter. I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I don't drink. I don't smoke no more. I don't womanize. I don't do this. I'm a moral being. And we can really lose how important it is to share the faith. Understand something. God cares. Let's never think that God doesn't care if I personally share the faith. That's, that's the evangelist's job. That's the pastor's job. It's not my job. It's our duty. It's more important, it's our responsibility, all of us. You can touch lives that I can't touch. And, and God's going to call me to touch lives you can never touch. And God's going to call both of us to pollinate other lives that will be blown out of the water when they start hearing my testimony, hearing someone else's testimony. Well, these guys are Christians. And God used the cross-pollination of sowing and watering and someone else reaping. Not all sharing faith ends up in being disowned by the family. It doesn't all end up being killed. Uh, but the fear of the worst, and this is important, but the fear of the worst, no matter how minute that threat is, especially in America, can keep God's people silent. I personally don't know anybody who's got killed for the faith, personally. I don't know anybody, I, I've gotten spit at, I've got yelled at, 
Uh, but I really never suffered any kind of real harm. I, I know some people that got beat up a little bit. But on a whole, it's, it's, it's the looks that people have and the opinions. Could you imagine that we, we allow an opinion to stifle us? Think about this. We allow the unbelief of an unbeliever to dictate the quality of our faith. Think about that. Really think about that. I'm allowing the fear of man and what someone thinks about me to dictate the quality of my love for Christ. How important it is to really address this. Again, church, God cares, and so should we. Eternity is at stake, God's glory is at stake, and it really is our responsibility to share the faith. And this text, these, these verses we just read, really deals with the, the fear that naturally arises within our hearts. Uh, and it's there, it's real, I know it, I've experienced it, and I still experience it at times. There is a certain types of people I have a t- hard time sharing the gospel with, and, but I've got to pray extra hard, and God's always faithful. There are other types of people in the community. It rolls. It's, 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 not, it's a non-issue. I can say it easily. And sometimes you find yourself in the awkward position saying, Oh God, please don't tell me to talk to him about Jesus. Please don't. Oh God, please, please. Am I alone? No. Come on, it's real. And, and, and here's the thing about it. Well, I'll talk about that later. But This story deals with this issue of fear. Well, the heart of the issue, and the heart of the issue is this. Whom shall we fear? Whose opinion do we value the most? That's what it comes down to. Do I, uh, do I value the opinion of everybody liking me? Or do I value the opinion of what God says about me? That's what it comes down to. It's an attitude of the mind. Do I fear man at worst can kill my body? And we'll speak about that later. Or do I fear God... Who gives me life? Who forgives my sin? Who who heard me when I was crying at 2 o'clock in the morning last night because I had all sorts of rogue thoughts of anxiety running around me. And I was like, Jesus. And guess who was there? Jesus. Guess who put me back to sleep again? Jesus. Whom shall I fear? What can man do to me? But yet it's real. It's a real issue. We've got to deal about it. The foundational issue of life is, am I a new creation? Have I stepped out of darkness? Am I a citizen of heaven? Is Jesus Christ truly the Son of God? We know it as Christians. I'll address what maturing as a Christian means. Jesus said this. One second here. Jesus said this to encourage his disciples to remain bold. In their witness of him, even under severe pressure. Why? Because he knows our propensity to spiritual weakness. That's why. He's meeting our weakness. He's really meeting our weakness. Because we really do live by what we see, what we feel. Our feelings are always taking us to and fro, beating us to death. You know, and we feel people don't like me and people might talk about me and, and I get caught up in that. And, you know, before you know it, we're silent. And, you know, it's like that spiritual weakness. You know, and Christ is addressing that issue in our life. There's a 
big difference between this text and what the disciples were going through in your life and my life today. We're not going to come across probably a hostile crowd of Pharisees. All right? That was 2,000 years ago. It depends on where you're living in the world today. You're going to experience that. But for us, chances are we're never going to really experience that. Let's be honest. No one's going to burn you alive at the stake. At least not now. They were doing that in Europe in the 1600s and the 1700s. They did this. But chances are we're never going to see that. But yet we still have this propensity to be afraid of people. Of sharing the faith. Let me stop right there. Step over here and tell you this. I'll tell you now. You start sharing the faith, you might not shut up. You might get so good at it. You might find your own little niche just to drop the seeds of salvation, to drop the seeds of Christ's love. You might get so good at it that you can't shut up. And sense the Holy Spirit in a fresh, new and dynamic way. Sharing our faith should be natural to Christians, but understand something. Though it should be natural to us, it's not of this world. Sharing Christ is not of this world. It's not. At all. Nothing close to it. I mean, it's almost like walking on water. You're defying the law of gravity to walk on water. When you speak about Christ, you are defying the law of philosophy and reason. It doesn't work. And there's a reason. Christ is truly speaking like a shepherd in this area. He's not a prophet. He's comforting his people. He's got an eye with a role on the spirit that's going to come. And understand this, before we even move on, before the spirit came, they all failed. Peter failed. John failed. The apostles, the disciples, they all, they heard this message. And when the crunch time came, guess what? They failed. The scriptures make that clear, purposely clear. So our dependence in such matters never rely on ourselves, but the power of God. Witnessing under our own power, we are sure to fail and get discouraged. I'm telling you now, because you're going to see a lot of, you're going to see very little fruit in most of the seasons of our life. But we have to learn and retrust the power of the Holy Spirit. We really do. Once we really truly learn of who God is, who Christ is, and how to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit, the text we're going to read, we just read deals with it all. We'll become better at witnessing over a prolonged period of time, even if we're in the face of persecution, of rejection, and not seeing too much fruit. Because we realize the battle this is, not ours. But if I'm doing it in the flesh, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be short-lived. Very short-lived. Okay, let's go to the text. Let me drink some water first. Jesus just finished a long day's work in chapter 11, confronting the hard-heartedness of the religious rulers and their contempt towards him. If you read chapter 11, that's exactly what happened. And now he prepares his disciples for the hard task ahead of them. For the student is not above the teacher or his sufferings. He knows just as they killed him, 
they're going to flog them and kill them. He knows what they're up against. He knows what life's going to call upon them. He knows what ministry is going to call. And he's encouraging them about these very same things. They have to realize Jesus just went toe-to-toe with the religious leaders. He was calling down basically woe against woe against woe against them the way the prophet Isaiah did. Their minds must have been spinning to see this Jewish carpenter going toe-to-toe with the religious establishment, not blinking with ice water flowing through his veins. He looked at the religious leaders who the disciples always thought were the cream of the crop. These were the men, they, they, they were the answer men. And he just tore them in pieces, period, inch by inch. They must have been amazed. Who would have the authority? Who would have the boldness to speak the way he just spoke to these men? And he does this to encourage them. He does this by way of revelation. He reveals the true character of religious leaders and most people who disagree in general, and that's the hypocrites. Then a revelation of there's nothing hidden. There is no hidden matter. All will be revealed on the day of judgment. Then the comforting character of the Father. Then the character of the Son in all his glory. Then the revelation of the Holy Spirit in all his help. This is Jesus' way of strengthening his church. And and I don't want you to miss this. It's not by threat or emotional manipulations, but by the truth alone. We overcome the fear of man by truth alone. That's it. Truth is the only weapon Christ used. It's the only weapon the apostles used. It's the only weapon the church has used over 2,000 years. It's the only weapon we have here. And there's a reason. It's the only weapon God needs. So all God needs is truth. I read somewhere that it sets men free. Everything in this text that we're going to read is just a plain matter of fact (laughs) spiritual truth. So let's go on for the ride. Verse 1. Jesus says, beware of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now this is interesting. Remember, he's dealing with the fear that's in our hearts of men. And he starts over here on something about hypocrisy. And it's interesting because it really doesn't seem to fit either the chapter before or going into this chapter. Really, you know, you try to find the linkage, how it works on the the spiritually kinetic chain. How is this, what's flowing over here? And he starts off with, because he really wants to encourage them, but he starts off with pointing to the Pharisees. And he's pointing to the Pharisees, uh, they're paper lions. He's saying they're hypocrites. Their bark is what? It's bigger than their bite. And he's pointing to the leaven of the Pharisees to really be careful because you have to know your enemy. It's important to know your enemy. The Pharisees were... The, the biggest enemies of Christ, the Pharisees and the religious rulers were the biggest enemies of the apostles. And, 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 and unfortunately today, uh, we'll speak about that as we go on. Hypocrisy is an enemy of the truth. And he's saying, beware of them. There's no love of the truth in them. There's no true faith. And the truth of the matter is the love of God is not in them. They're religious. No matter what they say to the contrary... 
They don't love God. They can make their point. They can make their statements. They can have the crowds praising them. But at the end of the day, their teaching is hypocrisy. Their teaching and their influence over the years can wear you down. There's a genuine concern by Jesus that Christianity doesn't fall into a sort of uh, hypocritical spirit. A sort of mixture of the law of Moses and the grace of God. There's a genuine concern. You saw Paul actually uh, rebuke Peter out of this in, in, uh, in uh, Galatians chapter 2. This very thing. He became hypocritical. We see it in the book of Acts. We see this constant awareness that don't. There were many thousands that were zealous for the law of Moses. But yet they loved Christ at the same time. That, that's, that's, you can't have that. There's a genuine fear to be, uh, to be sure about Christianity ever turning into being hypocrites. But there's something else here. We always need to be aware of hypocrisy, whether it's in the church or outside the church, because at the end of the day, hypocrisy is more dangerous than unbelief. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It's more dangerous than unbelief. And we'll get into this when it comes to application. Hypocrisy can weaken our witness. And we have to be careful of that at all times. But we'll pick up on that. He goes on to say in verse 2 and 3, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you whispered in the private room shall be proclaimed on the housetops. There's probably a twofold answer to this, and it's probably a, a negative and a positive interpretation. The negative would be, all hypocrisy will be exposed on the last day, and we should rejoice in that, not be scared of it. Those who strongly disagree with us and want to hear nothing about the message of grace and hear nothing about the message of Jesus, understand something. Every word they say will be heard from the rooftops. It will be exposed for what it is. That brings us comfort. That should bring the the disciples comfort. It should bring us comfort. But it also has a positive connotation to it. And the disciples are to share the gospel message that Christ was teaching them privately. Understand something. Remember what Matthew said, uh, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to everybody else, it's not. They had the private audience with Christ. They understood the message. What was whispered to them in Galilee, they were going to shout in Jerusalem on Pentecost. What was whispered to them in Galilee and Samaria, they were going to bring to Antioch. They were going to bring to Ephesus. They were going to bring to Corinth. They were going to bring to Athens. They were going to bring it right into Rome. What they heard in secret, they were going to proclaim it, no matter how severe the persecution is, no matter how hostile the crowd is, unbelieving family, friends, we need to shout the message of salvation. It is important. This message will be shouted throughout all of eternity. The message we share The simple message of once I was blind and now I see. Let me explain to you what Jesus understands something. That has 
has eternal value. God is not ashamed of how insignificant we think it is when we tell somebody how sweet it is what Jesus did to us. God loves it. And it will be part of an eternal witness forever. It will be shattered. There might become a time in heaven when God says, this is what my one son did for me. Listen to what my son, how he stood under persecution on 86th Street and 5th Avenue, year in and year out, telling people and handing out tracts. And he, listen what he did for me. Everything we do for God will be brought to the light. Everything. Everything. That's encouraging. That encourages me year in and year out to be a witnessing Christian year in and year out. And you hear no and you hear no and the rejection, I'll be there, never show up, this, that. You hear every excuse under the sun. But I know one day God will say, good and faithful servant. That's it. That's it. With that knowledge that God will shout it, not for any kind of glory, but God will vindicate his message. No matter what the messenger is, he'll vindicate it. And that's important for us to know. He goes on in 4 and 5, another revelation. It's the character of God. He, remember, he's comforting the fearful heart. He tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing to do, more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. This is the heart of the matter that Christ is addressing. It is fear. The only antidote for the fear of man is the awe of God. The awe of God is, a reverent fear of God is, uh, it's understanding. It's not a feeling. Please, the fear of God is not some kind of, you know, ooh. It's It's not being afraid of God. It's being totally blown away by grace. It's grace that taught our heart to fear. It's being totally blown away that he saved me. That Christ died for me. That he, he cares for me. It's not even just about eternal life. It's about doing every he cares about every detail of our life now. It's understanding just how bad sin is. Just how great and valuable salvation is. Just how awesome it's going to be at the second coming. And living with Christ forever. It's the whole plan of salvation. The more we understand it, the more it takes a practical application in our life. That's the fear of God. It's responding to truth. In Jesus trying to comfort the fear in his disciples, he leans on God for proper motivation. He doesn't manipulate them. He doesn't try to scare them into doing it. He leans on God. He says, with an emphatic, I tell you. That means he's driving home the point. In the Greek it means this. Don't miss this. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. If there's any one thing he's telling his disciples on this day, learn this. Fear God, not man. Let that be the driving force of your life. Is the reverence and awe of the God of redemption. Let that own your thoughts. And with a term of endearment, friends, 
It's only used twice, John 15 and here. To comfort them, he directs their minds to two main points in these two verses of Scripture. God's ultimate power and authority and justice. He holds eternal life in his hands and the power to personally condemn. It's interesting that Christ, in comforting the fear of his disciples, doesn't do doesn't do any damage to the character and nature of God. He points to God's authority and justice. This is what you should fear. Fear him who can cast both body and soul in hell. And he makes another point. Don't fear man who can kill the body. Let's take a moment on that. To you and me, that's something to fear. But Jesus doesn't see that. He sees that as limited power. That's limited power. I'm not Jesus. To me, that's something to be afraid of. It challenges our faith. But understand something. Anytime somebody wants to reject us or persecute us or say something, remember something, it's all limited power. At the end of the day, it's all limited. The worst man can do is kill. And in the eyes of God, that's limited power. That's important for us to know. He goes on in verse 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. He moves on to God's sovereign care by way of two metaphors. To show that even the seemingly insignificant things of life are under God's control. How much more his children's lives? How much more? Again, he's comforting fear with just an understanding of God. He's comforting fear by knowing those who disagree, understanding this hypocrisy. He's comforting their fear by teaching them that every witness you ever give to me will be shattered from the rooftops. He's comforting them by the knowledge that God has all authority, that God has all power. He's comforting them by the reality that man has limited power. The worst he can do is kill, kill the body. Now he's comforting them about God's sovereign care over their life. Everything is to comfort the anxious mind. Because the only answer there is. The only answer we need. God is in every detail of our life. Now he goes on in verse 8 and 9. He starts to speak about his own character. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. We have the Father. Now we have the Son. Jesus now fast forwards ahead to his second coming as judge and king. It's a glimpse of Christ's true identity. Please don't miss this. By faith, it's a glimpse of Christ's true identity that is a stabilizing component to man's false authority and our fear of man. Who are we worshiping? Are we worshiping him who has all authority? Are we saved by him who's coming again? To judge the living and the dead? Is the Apostles' Creed words or is it life to the soul? This is how Jesus chose to comfort his disciples. Just truth. Truth of the character of God. Truth of the character of everybody that uh, is an opponent to us. Truth of who he is 
and his royal, regal majesty that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. That's how he comforts us. How important it is to know who we really serve when we're talking about the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Jesus here encourages his disciples with the awesome nature of his forgiveness. Understand something. Remember the Apostle Paul? He killed because of the name of Jesus. But yet he was forgiven. But he says this to highlight something. To the incredible ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's not just saying that by way I'll forgive anything. He really wants people to know, listen guys, you haven't met the Holy Ghost yet. They haven't. Remember, they all failed. The crucifixion, they all failed. He goes, you're going to meet the Holy Spirit one day. And you will know his authority. You will know his existence. But sin against the Holy Spirit will not, will not be forgiven. Not cannot, will not. God won't tolerate people blaspheming the work of the Spirit of grace on the hearts of sinners. This is not about, oh, he got healed over there. That's the work of Satan. You think God's concerned about someone being raised from the dead? God's more concerned about the heart that was a sinner and he took the leopard spot and he made it pure as white as snow. That is the greatest of all witnessings of the Holy Spirit's ministry. We leave that to God. But he does that for a reason because he wants to move over to uh, verse 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself. Or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour. What you ought to say. Jesus now moves from the Spirit's position as Almighty God. To the role as a spokesman for God. And the advocate and teacher of God's people. It's important to realize that these, they're hearing this flow from the Master's lips. But they have no reference to a personal understanding of the Holy Spirit in their life. He says, don't be anxious. You know what anxious is? It's fearful thinking. It's fearful thinking in this context of what people might say, what people can do, what people are thinking about me. Think about how much time we spend in that in a religious context. Would you walk down the avenue with a Bible in your hand? Not everybody can say that with an emphatic, no problem. Can you pray with loved ones at a dinner table? Can you just hold someone's hand that you don't know and say, let me pray for you? Can can you outstep what people might think to really bring glory to God? Fearful thinking. Anxious. But knowing the Spirit's spontaneous ministry and His influence equals fruitful sharing. And this is what I want to depend on a little bit here. This is non-existent element in many lives today. This is experiential. This is overcoming fearful thinking, anxious thoughts, what people might say, going outside by faith and sharing it anyway and reflecting back that day and saying, you know something, to God be all the glory because that was not me. 
I don't usually do that. Even Paul preached with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling he went to Corinth. The last thing he wanted to do was to go into the lion's den and preach. But guess where he went? He went into the lion's den and preached. We all have our lion's den. There's, all the, there's that quarantine area in our life where we just don't share Jesus. If, I don't know where it is for you. I know where it is for me. I know that quarantine area that I try to stay away from because nobody wants to know about Jesus here. But we do limit the Holy Spirit. We truly do limit the Holy Spirit. We need to really rely on the Holy Spirit. We, have, we all need personally an awakening of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. He's comforting them with the character of God as the ultimate judge. He's comforting them with the sovereign care of God who cares for sparrows and will much more than sparrows. He's comforting with who he is, the glorious king of the universe. He's comforting with the Holy Spirit and what he can do spontaneous, even at the, the worst hour. You can rely on him. He'll be there. He'll give you the words to speak. And it's all there to wrestle to the ground our fearful hearts. Again, he does this all by truth. It's the plan of redemption. He's not saying just pull yourself together, man up. I'm a coward. I like to be liked. Anybody like that? I like to be liked. I'm not into being rejected. I like people liking me and speaking well of me. But as a Christian, not everybody's going to do that. And if that's all we want, then that's all we're going to get. It is important to step up and step out. But we have to do it with the full knowledge of who God is. He'll watch over us. We have to do it with the full knowledge that Christ is the reigning king, not man. And we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is with God's people at all times to give us the right words at the right time for his glory. Amen? Let's close with this. Oh, goodness. In dealing with our fears and sharing our faith, Jesus, in his kindness, teaches us that it, is, it isn't foolishness to share, it's foolishness not to believe. And that the religious hypocrisy can be more dangerous than unbelief. And we need to be aware of it in our lives and its negative influence from others, for it leaves us spiritually impotent. He shows us that the only real attitude we should cultivate is a fear of God, which is respect for who he is and what he has said. Also, to look at life from the end to now. Jesus is king, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess, and to rely more on the Spirit's ministry than trying to figure it out. Father, we thank you. Just bless our hearts, Father God, and let us be more bold. Let us be able to overcome these apprehensions we might have and share in the faith, Father God. Come and comfort us, Father God, with the truth of who you are, who your Son is, and who your Spirit is in Christ's name.